You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. If y'all have made it through Revelation thus far, you've actually, you're here on a good day, because this week and next week is the fun stuff. Uh, we made it through the plagues, uh, in the words of the great theologian R. Kelly, the storm is over. And so, <laughs> moving on. Um, but man, it's, it's been such an interesting story, right? Like, God has watched uh, his creation. And God has watched his, his creation uh, live and compromise. Uh, God uh, allowed sin to be in the world so that we might have choice. God didn't create sin. Uh, we chose sin, but it was allowed to be in the world so that we would have choice and so that there could be good and evil and all these things. And, and God has been watching as this uh, great tempter has lured us away from the truth, as, as evil has lured us away from our calling and, and, the, and, the, and the joy and the peace and the hope in our life. And God has been watching and he's been patient. He hasn't been lazy. He's been patient so that more people could come to know God. But there comes a point in history where God says, that's it. It's done. There comes a point when the groom comes for his bride. And that's where we are today. And man, this is some of the most edifying, just beautiful stuff in the whole Bible, in my opinion. Guys, if you haven't read it, please read Revelation 19 through 22, uh, because this is some of the just most incredible. We live in a world where I think we oftentimes go, God, where are you? Like, what are you doing? You know? Um, and, And then we see this, and it's like, okay, okay, the king is still on the throne. And so y'all open up your Bible if you brought it to uh, Revelation 19, uh, verse 1, and we'll read this. After this, I heard what sounded like a great, like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah. By the way, y'all say that with me. Hallelujah. Some of y'all didn't. Let's, let's try it again. And, and let, I want you to say it with a little force, like, like, like you know, like uh, pretending you're Pentecostal or something. And say, are, there any Pente- are there any Pentecostals who could lead us in this? Because we, all right, watch. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. Doesn't that feel good? All right. So I'm, when I say hallelujah, right after I say it, I want you all to go hallelujah back at me. And some of you are like, oh, don't trust me. It's okay to, to say hallelujah in church today. Um, After this, let's start over. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He's avenged her by the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Oh, man. Some of you have been waiting ever since you got to this church for us to start shouting hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I love it. Yes. It's fun, isn't it? Some of you are still uncomfortable speaking. We're all worshiping together. It's okay. Hallelujah. Man, what a gorgeous word, isn't it? You you want to hear something interesting about this? I, I really find this incredibly fascinating. So hallelujah is a pretty churchy word, right? I mean, if you grew up in church, you've heard hallelujah. Uh, you don't typically use that word elsewhere. You know, you know, you don't see your friend in Dollar General and you're like, oh, hallelujah. You know, there you are. You might say it on Black Friday at Target, oh, hallelujah, when you find, but mo- for the most point, we don't use the term hallelujah super frequently, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, they use it on a, on a fairly regular basis. 
In the New Testament, the word hallelujah is not used until the reading we just had. It's reserved. It's reserved. I mean, God knew the word. The New Testament authors know the word. And yet they reserved this special word for this part of Revelation because something incredibly beautiful is happening. And hallelujah is a, is a Hebrew word. It comes from the word halal or halal, which means uh, to worship with, with youthful exuberance. It means to worship like no one's watching. If you can imagine um, you've been on a long trip and you come home and your child sees you and, like, and, and, and you know, you've got a great relationship with that child and they come running towards you and they do not care who in the world is watching. They're jumping up and down. They're going nuts. Uh, or, you know, you, maybe you go to a Razorback game and you paint yourself or something, you know. This is halal. This is a, that you would worship God as if you and God are the only people in the room. That you would worship God with passion. That you would worship God with, with exhilaration. That you would worship God like God was a God who deserved to be worshipped. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, that's fun. Yo, y'all are still doing it. That's good. And I, like this, this, this is what perfected worship looks like. Hallelujah. And some, some of us, that's, that's probably good. Some of us, <laughs> I think just, just my turn now. <laughs> but some of us, some of us, man, we long for halal. We long for this, for this kind of worship. Because for some of us, we're seeing in part in this world what we were created and designed to see in full forever. Was this perfected worship? Now, not everybody longs for it, I'll be honest. We were singing some songs, and I kind of peeked around the corner, and I, I don't know that everyone was hallelujahing. But something inside of us should desire this. Something inside of us that knows who we are apart from Christ should desire this. Something inside of us. There should be a, a, a lion that desires to be free in each one of our souls. Something that knows there's more. Hallelujah. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> you guys are so good. All right, so... Um, Psalm 150, it says, let everything with breath, halal, praise the Lord. Halal, let everything with breath. You have breath today? You got breath? Praise the Lord. All right, so uh, chapter 19, verse, I think it's five. Let's check this out. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for the, yes, for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad in him. Give glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. That's a disclaimer. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the words of God. Guys, this is a cool part of the Bible, okay? This is what we in the business call the good news, right? This is, this is good stuff. And so there's something really cool happening. And one of the great things, it says, for all you Christians, all people who, who have given their life to Christ, both great and small, man, I am so glad that the small Christians were included. How about you? Like, because I see some people, like my ridiculous brother who just had faith their whole life, Right? And they seem to live pretty good lives. And there's people like me who it took around 30 years of doing every single thing wrong before I finally decided to do something right. 
and I see these great Christians who do great things, and, and you know, they're, they're missionaries. They're doing all these amazing things, and I look at them and go, man, when I see them in heaven, I'm going to kind of be embarrassed because they're going to have this incredible story. But then I read this, and it says, all oh, you great and small, if you have invested whatever little amount of faith and trust you have into the kingdom of God, then you're invited to the party. And it doesn't matter if someone else is different. It doesn't matter if they're doing more. But what matters is if you have taken what you have and you've invested your trust in the king, then you're at the party. All, are, you, are you hurting today? You're at the party. Do you see some things in the world that make you question your faith sometimes? Oh, man, you're at the party. All those great and small who've trusted Christ with their life, you're invited to the party. And we've got this, this, this wedding feast being set up where uh, it's, it's the blood of the groom that is actually sanctified or made righteous the bride. Uh, we're made, we are, by the way, we are the bride. We are the bride. You are the bride. I am the bride. We are the bride. And, and Christ has been perfecting us. He's been preparing us to meet him. That, that's what's been happening in your life. From the minute you met Christ until the minute we will stand face to face with him, he is preparing you to be presented to him because there's an entry requirement uh, to be in his presence and it's called perfection. And guess what? You ain't it and I ain't it. But through Christ, we are perfected so that we might stand in his perfect presence. And, and to understand what they're, they're talking about, this wedding feast, uh, you have to understand like in the Hebrew tradition of wedding, uh, there is a process before you're married, and it's called betrothal. You're betrothed to someone. It's basically where a dad makes a legally binding agreement with another man uh, for, for giving away his daughter in marriage. And so before they, were le- before they consummated their marriage, they were still legally bound to one another. As a matter of fact, if you read the story, which we'll read in Christmas, the Christmas story, it says that Joseph had in mind to divorce Mary quietly. But they weren't married yet. They were betrothed. They belonged to each other. And so this age that we're living in right now, you and I, we legally belong to Christ. We are his. We are sealed. But one day we will experience the full completion, the consummation of what we right now only know in part. But we're his as he's preparing us for himself. And in their, in their, his, in their uh, wedding celebrations, they only lasted 7 to 14 days, depending on how much money you had, how much wine you had. But we belong to the lover of our soul forever. Forever we will celebrate with him. Verse 11, this is a long passage, but stick with me because I, I think it's worth it. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Did that sound familiar? Like a song we sang earlier? Some of you sang. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Y'all hear that? He has a name written on him. That solves the whole, or tattoos okay with God debate right there, right? <laughs> I kid. I kid, I kid. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword to which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying, Come, gather together. 
for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of the kings and generals and the mighty and the horses of their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider, the horse, and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And the two of them were thrown alive into a fiery lake of burning sulfur, and the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider of the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Whew! That's a lot. What's going on here? You have these two, two armies, right? And you have two meals. You have the wedding feast of the lamb, which you and I will be at, and you have the feast of the beast for those people and, and the evil one who, who's continued to persecute Christians and turn their back on Christ. And, and the beast of the feast is birds gorging on flesh. That's not too good, is it? And then you've got this other incredible feast of the lamb, this rider who comes back and allows you and I to once again be an unbroken connection with Jesus Christ. It's gorgeous, man. Y'all ever seen the movie Pretty Woman? Some of you? Sweet. I'll keep going. <laughs> it's actually important to what I'm going to say next. But So in the movie Pretty Woman, if you haven't seen it, this is a spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen it yet, I've given you ample amount of time. The movie came out in 1973, so I think we're safe. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it did. Don't argue with me, stuff like that. And so, so in, in the movie Pretty Woman, uh, there's this end scene with Julia Roberts, and she's standing on a balcony. Y'all remember this? Um, it's just a great scene. But does she deserve to be rescued based on the life she's lived? No. Does she deserve uh, this, this white limo with, you know, with this prince? She doesn't deserve it. Of course, I mean, there's a few differences this is God, not Richard Gere, but other than that, it's very similar. It's not, I don't know if it's similar at all. But like, she didn't deserve to be rescued. And I, th I think one of the reasons that we should halal or worship or hallelujah is because we must understand we do not deserve the rescue we're given. We don't deserve this. And one of the reasons worship should just be a second language for us is because we are so full of joy and humility and passion because we realize this incredible gift that we've been given of life with God was not something we earned. Aren't you glad you didn't get what you deserved? Everyone says, I want justice. No, you don't. You want unfair in your favor. So do I. Amen. I am so glad that my life was not the deciding factor for whether or not the king would come back for me because he knows who I am and he knows what I've done and he knows my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions. He knows how I feel about you when you're driving in front of me on Sardis Road. <laughs> he knows all of these things and yet still he comes back for us. And I, th I, think, I think the reason we worship should be from a spirit of total and complete humility. And then there's, um, like, in Revelation, so much of the book is about the lamb, right? So much of Revelation is about the lamb. But don't you like it when the lion shows back up? Isn't it gorgeous? When the lion actually shows back up and says, all right, I'm back. It's the toughest guy in the room. 
And it's so important we remember this. Verse 21, the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider. Guys, I've said this, and I will say this over and over and over and over until I believe we've all gotten it. The way we win this war is not by uh, how many guns we have. It's not that we, oh, if we only elect the right president, then he will lead America, and America will bring back this great period of prosperity for the world. And, and like the entire church, it doesn't hinge on your vote. It doesn't hinge on your guns. It doesn't hinge on anything other than the word of God from the mouth mouth of God. The way the battle is won is the word of God from the mouth of God. The way we should, the way we should make the world great, the way we should usher in this period is, is we should live like Christ. It doesn't mean you, you, you do it, you know, you, you, we've gotten this, this thing in us that makes us want to just knock people and hurt people and makes us want to take power through any means necessary. But that's not the story of, of God. The story of God is a willingness to lay down our lives. And now we're going to get into chapter 20. And this is probably one of the most, uh, and I'm not going to read chapter 20. I'm not going to read all of it. I'll read some up. This is probably one of the most controversial uh, parts of Revelation. This is one of those things where churches split and divide, uh, where people get super angry at each other. And I'm willing to bet that someone in this room is incredibly dogmatic about what I'm about to talk about. And my question for you is, before I start talking, is what has your dogmatic belief done from the kingdom of God? What is your passion in this? Because what we're talking about, there's a thousand-year reign, right? And some of you are new to church, and you have no idea what I'm talking about. And man, you count yourself blessed that you have not been part of these ridiculous arguments for the last, your whole life. But there's a thousand-year reign of Christ in Revelation 20. And some people believe Christ comes at the beginning of this and reigns forever. Some people believe Christ comes at the end of this and reigns forever. And there's all these different beliefs. And people who are really, really dogmatic about this, again, my question is, has your dogmatic belief saved any souls? And the answer is most likely no. And then, and then, then you even get conversation. You know, people want to talk about the rapture at this part of Revelation. Um, yikes. This is another one where people, man, get really mad. And so people say, well, Tommy, are you going to tell us what you believe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't need to borrow trouble in this area. <laughs> I mean, but here, here's what I want you to know. Okay, I'll say this much. I want you to know, I believe that, Christ, that right now that, that Christ is ruling through the church. And I believe that one day Christ is going to come again and we will all rule, rule with him. I don't see in, in Revelation for me a part of the story where we're all just sort of zapped out of it and avoid all persecution and pain. I think we rule with Christ. Now, I want to say this, and I want to say this to young Christians. There are people on my own staff who disagree with me. And you know what? We love each other. There are people on my church council, which would be like our, your elder board for the 99.7% of you who came from a Baptist church. Uh, there's people on church council here. And there's, they disagree with me on this. And you know what we have found? And guys, I, I want you to hear this. This may be one of the more important things I say today. We can disagree on secondary items and still cohabitate in church together and worship God together. Hallelujah. We, we don't have to agree on every single thing. I've told you this. You have permission in this church to be incorrect when you disagree with me. <laughs> I've told you that so many times. <laughs> you have full permission no, and, and I, I mean, I may be incorrect. There, there's a, probably not, but I mean, there's a chance, right? But will I care if I'm incorrect on this topic? Not at all. I'll see you in heaven. 
And you can say, I told you so, right? And I'll say, I told you so about something else. I mean, right? Who cares? I, I don't really know. Um, but I know this. I know that God wins. And I know that you and I are supposed to unify around the things that are truly essential. And if you disagree with me on some non-essential thing, man, buy me lunch and we can argue about it. All right, verse 20. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So this is this thousand-year thing. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. This, this is the cool part. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, so what an encouragement for a people who were living under Roman persecution. Remember this letter was written for us, but not to us. It was written to people who were living in times where Christians were actually beheaded, where they were crucified, uh, where they were flayed alive. I mean, it was horrible stuff. And he says, man, listen, when Christ comes back, there's going to be this time when all those who suffered from Christ will reign with Christ. What an incredible word for those who are willing to suffer for Christ. Chris and Katie aren't here today. They're, they're out of town. And so I'm going to talk about them. Um, that's what church people do, right? <laughs> they have, and, and, and I could say this about a lot of people, but I want to pick Chris and Katie. What they've done with their home through safe families, um, I'll cry. I have watched Katie have her heart ripped out time and time again by opening their home and um, loving people and then getting hurt. I think it's great encouragement to know that for those who are willing to sacrifice for Christ, we will reign with Christ. Paul said it so well, everything I lose in this world I count as rubbish to the unsurpassing joy of knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior. And some of you, man, some of you are willing to suffer. Some of you are willing to, to abstain joy in this world because you believe in something greater. And what an encouraging word to know that for those who will hold on, you will reign with the king. This life, it's over fast, isn't it? What we do in this life matters. And one day, those who are strong, those who remain, uh, will experience something incredible. Verse 7 says, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be leased from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Mogog, and to gather them for battle. In a number like the sand on the seashore, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. The city God loves is Jerusalem, right? But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into a lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, so after a thousand years, Satan is released from his prison and deceives the nations with Gog and Mogog. Does everyone understand that? I don't either. <laughs> like, 
really tried to figure out what he was talking about right here, and I'm having a hard time. Um, for some reason, he decides to let, I, I, I don't, I've read a bunch of commentaries, and they've all got different opinions. Uh, so my thing is this, maybe I don't have to understand every single word of the Bible to still love Jesus. Because and one of, I know, I believe me, I know one of you knows the answer here. I get it. And you're going to email me, and I can't wait for Kenley to read it. But <laughs> some of this stuff, guys, is, I mean, why, why would he release him to reign again? I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but I know this. And it's, the, it's the last line in this. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I know this, that there is a day when evil is completely destroyed forever. And that's all I really need to know about that paragraph. There's a day when evil is completely eradicated. There's a day, and we're going to talk more about this next week, and I want to start talking about it now so bad, but it's next week's stuff. There is a day with this new heaven and this new earth where all the woes of this world have passed. There's a day when we will stand with our king Forever. This next part, though, is my absolute favorite part of, of this chapter of Revelation. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who is seated on it. So, so you've got this evil's destroyed. God has uh, absolutely uh, gone to war against everything that would ever go to war against us. He, he's, he's destroying all the things that are destroying us. And then you have this part where it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and in who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. So there's this moment when everything else fades away. Just you and God, right? Just the king. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. So there's two books. Books is plural, right? There's two books which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades, then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire, the lake of fire that is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so something has happened here. Everything else has faded away. God has thrown evil, and now all those people, great, small, living, we all stand in front of the judgment throne, the, the judgment seat of Christ. And there's two books. And the first book, he pulls out and he opens up, and it's a book of everything you've done in this world. You looking forward to that? God stands before you. It's every, every, everything else is gone. It's you, it's you and God. And he opens up the book of every single thing you've done. Every thought, every deed, everything. And for those who don't know Jesus, they'll be judged on that. Judged on that. Because remember, the requirement for heaven is perfection. And no one can possibly achieve that on their own, right? And so he opens up this book and he looks at his deeds. You know, he, he looks at my deeds and he and I are, and I'm going, oh man, there's no chance of me getting in. I mean, I picture this. I picture me sitting in front of Jesus and Jesus saying, all right, Tommy, welcome to heaven. Uh, this new heaven, new earth, and it's all in. And I'm judging. And so here's the book of your deeds. And, you know, and he's like, he starts with, maybe he does Jeff first, my brother, and there's two pages. And then he gets to me and it's like, just scroll after scroll after scroll after scroll. I'm like, okay, I, I get it, right? 
And then he says, all right, here's your deeds. But then he says, here's what you did. And he shuts that book. And he opens another book called the book of life. The book of those who are sealed by his blood. The book of those who have given their lives to Christ. And he said, here's what you did. But in this book is your name. Because this is what I did. And so here's what you did, Tommy. But here's who you are. Because this is what I have done. Your name is in my book. Because my father so loved the world that he sent me that whosoever would place their faith in me would not perish but would have life forever. Let me ask you a question. How thankful are you for that second book? How thankful are you for that second book? Gosh, how thankful are we? And this is why we halal. This is why hallelujah. This is why we worship. Because there is a book with my name written in it. Not just the book of my deeds. I don't want to see that. My mom one time, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll tell the story. My mom one time found some, uh, some pictures that I'd taken in college. And this is back when you developed pictures. And I forgot about them in a box. And she developed them like 20 years later. And um, it was, they were not proud moments for me. And I just remember coming home for Thanksgiving or something. Mom said, hey, I got some of your old pictures developed. And I was like, oh, yeah, and that was before everyone took every picture and put it on, you know, Facebook and whatnot. Thank God. But can you imagine being judged by every picture of your life? Or there's one picture. There's one picture. There's a king who's the lion of the tribe of Judah, who conquers sin, who conquers death. And for you and for me, he died like a lamb so that we might worship him forever. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.